Hey, this is Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Chapel, Divine, Texas. Would really like to thank you for taking time to check out our podcast, our Sunday sermons, and our Wednesday night Bible studies. You can always share this, download it, or even find it on Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, and pretty much wherever you can find a podcast. You can also find out about our church service times. We have our Sunday service at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night Bible study at 7 p.m. We're located in the Market Media Building. It's located at 203 East College Avenue, Sweet C in Divine, Texas. Plus, if you need to get any other information from the church, you can do all of this at our church website at calvarydivine.org. That's calvarydivine.org. Here's today's teaching. So I entitled this, Is Your Identity Found in Christ? Is Your Identity Found in Christ? We'll look at it in two parts. Uh, Simply, we'll look at it as the clarifying the answer in verses 35 through 37 and condemnation of the scribes in verses 38 through 40. So is your identity found in Christ? It's a question that we all have to answer at some point because uh, throughout the scriptures we have uh, dealt with many questions that Jesus has asked. Now last week one of the things that we learned is is the uh, importance of loving our neighbor and and loving the Lord with all our strength, with all our might. And, and so one of the things we talked about last week was, was unity. Unity in the body. And, and also unity as a nation, as we see so much divide that's going on in our nation. And, and one of the things I can tell you, if we're going to practice the supremacy of love, when people come through the doors of the church, they're not here for politics. They're not here for... Uh, for all the different things that are going on in the current news. With, some of them are coming in hurting. And they need to be loved on. And they need, to be, uh, they, they need the church to come alongside them and pray with them. And one of the things that I, I love is, is as we dive into this scripture, uh, we will find out that, uh, that Jesus asked many questions. And... And some of the questions that we've seen happen so far uh, through the scripture is we've seen him ask the question, what do you want me to do for you? These are very personal questions that he asks. In Mark chapter 8, verse 36 through 37, it says, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? In Luke chapter 24, verse 38, When they were on the seas and the storm was brewing, Jesus said to them, Why are you troubled and why do do doubts arise in your heart? They had already seen miracles after miracles. and, And that's the question you have to ask yourself if your identity is found in Christ. Why are you doubting? Why are those questions arising in your heart that God is not in control? And he says in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Why do you call me Lord? Lord, and do not do what I say. These are all questions, personal questions that are asked. And he asked Martha as, as they're talking about uh, Lazarus. And, and, and John chapter 11, verse 25, it says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And, and everyone who believes and believes in me will never die. And then he asked the question, do you believe this? You have to be able to answer that question. And also in Luke chapter 12, verse 25, And which of you, 
by worrying can add a single hour to his lifespan. If then you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? And then my favorite verse in Mark is, is the question that he asked Peter and the disciples. Who do people say that I am? These are personal questions that we need to answer. If we're going to look at our identity as found in Christ, then we need to be able to answer these questions. He asked the same question with the parallel verse in the Synoptic Gospels in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 41. It says, Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them questions, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? What do you think about the Christ? When I ask you that question, I'm not asking it religiously. See, a lot of us can answer the question of Christ religiously, but can you answer it personally? Personally. It's a personal relationship with Christ. See, the Mormons have tried to answer the question by saying that Jesus is the half-brother of Lucifer. That's wrong. That's false doctrine. The Jehovah Witnesses say that Jesus was the archangel Michael born in the flesh. Again, that's wrong. The Muslims believe that Jesus was just a prophet. But who is Jesus to you personally? Is your identity found in Christ? Now this question that's going to be asked, why do you think about the Christ whose son is he, that he asked in Matthew. Remember I told you all the Synoptic Gospels is just a fancy thing for Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And sometimes they're parallel verses in John. But they're just different camera angles. That's all they are. They give you more, more information as you study them. And Matthew asks that, that question, why, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And so hopefully by the end of this study, you'll be able to answer that personally, not religiously. The last thing we need is more religion. People that are walking with Christ in a relationship. So let's look at clarifying the answer in verse 35, our first point. And Jesus taught in the temple. He said, how can the scribes say that Christ is the son of David? And David himself and the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. And David calls himself, uh, calls him Lord. So how is he son? And the great throng heard him gladly. Now one of the things we get right off the bat is it says that Jesus taught in the temple. Now at this point, Jesus has been questioned. He was questioned by the Herodians and by the, the Pharisees and the scribes. He was questioned by the lawyers of the law just last week. When one of the scribes said, what is the great commandment? What is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself and remember he said that was the commandment not commandments and we talked about it. you can't love people if you don't love God that's the problem with our, our world today as we have we have people that 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 as we talked about the love of God we talked about agape love and so he's gone through these questions. That agape love is that sacrificial love where you're not expecting anything in return. And we forget that. 
But he's questioning them now. He's not taking any more questions. And then the question, he's answering the question. Jesus is answering the question in the question. So there's really nothing they can say as they go through this. Uh, and, and so the question that he's asking is, how can the scribes say that Christ is the son of David? So, they, you know, Jesus is going to take them to school. And, and the word that's used there for Christ is, is Christos uh, in the Greek. And it means the anointed one, the Messiah. And I love the way that it's, it's, it's given. This is why it's important when you're studying Scripture to look at, sometimes look at other different uh, versions of the Bible. The New Living Translation says this, Later, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple, He asked, Why do the teachers of religious law claim that the Messiah is the Son of David? And that word Christos is the Anointed One, the Messiah. And, and that's what He's asking in that question. But remember, we, we've seen this before. Back in Mark chapter 10 and verse 47, when Bartimaeus was, was crying out, he says, And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Bartimaeus was physically blind. Physically blind and yet spiritually knew who Jesus was. But he didn't just call him Jesus. He called him the son of David, which is a messianic title. We also know during the triumphal entry as Jesus was uh, the first time he allowed public uh, worship. In Mark chapter 11, verse 10, it says, And uh, blessed is the coming of the kingdom, our father David. Hosanna in the highest. So Jesus allowed it. And the Pharisees and the scribes were trying to understand it in human terms. And, and when we talk about the religious way of answering the question, that's the way we try to do it in human terms. When we talked about how the Mormons see Jesus, that's an answer that was answered by Joseph Smith. It was answered in human terms. And the Pharisees and the scribes were not expecting Jesus. They were expecting a warrior king that was going to come free them from Rome. That was the picture that they were looking for. And guess what? Jesus didn't fit that picture. And for us too, when we think about it, some of us as we think about the way our relationship is with Jesus, we, we, we're looking for something that we want. Almost like a waiter. I need you to bring me this, Jesus. I need you to do that for me, Jesus. Or you could say it could be like a genie in a bottle. Whenever you're in trouble, you try to rub the lamp like Jesus is going to come. And that's the religious way of looking at Jesus. It's wrong. And that's what the scribes, you know, they're looking at a, looking for a warrior king. They're looking for David, the warrior king to overthrow Rome. So they had a very, uh, a, a very uh, worldly view of what Jesus was going to be to them. Not that he was fully God, fully man. Not that he was the Messiah, the anointed one. Not that he could forgive us of sin. That we're guilty. And that's what so many people think about Jesus today is they just look at him as, well, he was a good teacher. He said some good things. 
And that's not what it's about. And so when we look at that, that question, it's like we have to understand that, that that son of David is a messianic term for the anointed one, for the Messiah. And it says in verse 36, David himself, the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. And Jesus is actually, this is why I love when Jesus talks. He quotes scripture. Something that Christians are supposed to be able to do. I'm not saying you have to memorize every scripture, but at some point when you're trying to share something with somebody, there should be some biblical background of what you're sharing. Like you should be able to say, you know, in God's word it says that. And he does it in Psalm 110 verse 1. It says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And imagine this. This is the chief priest in the temple. Jesus teaching. And they didn't get it. And they haven't listened to him at any point during him when he was teaching. And this, this point will be no different. The word Lord is Jehovah in Psalm 110 verse 1. And it says, Lord Jehovah said to my Lord Adonai. So when we see the Psalms open, we know that David was the, the highest ruler in the kingdom, but Adonai had to be Lord himself. So we, we're, we're talking about the eternal Son of God, the, the uh, Jesus answering this question. And, and, and he's born of, uh, uh, from the lineage of David, a descendant of David. Adonai. And God's going to elevate Jesus, the Messiah, to a place of exaltation. Messiah must be uh, God because he will be in the position of absolute equality with God. His honor, his power, his glory. And, and, and as we, we see that in the rest of that verse, it says, and, and the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Paul even addressed this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 25. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The lamb was here. The lion returns. And when the lion returns, his enemies will be put under his feet. It is not our job to try to put enemies or people that we think are enemies under our feet. That's his. And, and at the end of the day, I think one of the things that we have to understand is like Jesus' reign will come. His second coming will come. It's, been, it's, it's in the book of Revelation. We went over it in the book of Daniel as we went, went through the book of Daniel. I think it's very important to study prophecy. It's extremely important. Because it makes us look up to be ready for His second coming. And the church will be raptured. And unfortunately, you don't want to be here after the church is raptured. When the tribulation begins and the Antichrist comes. And, you know, we're, we're seeing everything moving in that direction right now. In rapid pace. Remember, he talked about it being birthing pains. 
And as Lena, as, as she had that baby, those we went real quick like that. And next thing we know, we had a baby. And he said those birthing pains are going to increase. Do you not see that the things that are going on around the world are increasing? You just got to open your eyes. So what is our, our responsibility? I, I put this out earlier this week because I, I, it, it was something that was on my heart. Because when God called you to follow Him, He didn't call you to follow BLM, Antifa, MAGA, or any of that stuff. He called you to follow Him, Christ. And, and what we've done in the church is we've put in so much focus on that stuff and not put the worship where it belongs with Christ. That's who we follow. I had somebody write to me and ask me, are we a rhino church? I was like, no. We're, we're, we're not a political party. We belong to God. And, you know, but that's, that's what's being portrayed out there right now. So what we st- what, remember what I told you last week, what will stand out more than anything? Love and grace. Because it's not being given right now. When you step up and you, you allow the love of the Lord to shine through your heart and you're the salt and the light of the world and you give that agape love, that sacrificial love that nobody, you know, that expects nothing in return and you show grace and mercy when it's not deserved, you're going to stand out. And they're going to want to know why you're the way you are right now. Because everybody's frazzled. They're all frazzled. Turn off the TV for a little bit. Turn off the social networks for a little bit. Just, just disconnect for a little bit. I think one of the most freeing things was having kids this weekend. Because I didn't have time to do anything else but take care of their needs. And I watch so many shows that I just don't want to ever watch again. You know, the kids, like, I, they're just, I'm just like, man, how many, how many times are we going to watch this one episode? I, 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 it's just, it is what it is. But when you, when you allow yourself to say, you know what, I've been called to follow who? Christ. That's what I follow. Christ. That's what you should be known for. And that's what my prayer is for you. As he talks about putting this uh, sitting at the right hand, we know in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, it says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So what are the things you're supposed to seek? Not vertically. Not, not horizontally, but vertically, right? He's telling us to seek the things from above, not here. It's so easy for us to get distracted and seek those things. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. Now, the point in what we are saying is this. We have a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of his majesty in heaven. And then we know very familiar Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. It says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the knee of Jesus every knee should bow, 
in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of, of God the Father. So at some point, all these people that are doing whatever, they're going to know Jesus is real. My thing is, is like I was saying in that, that post, is my thing is today, and I want you to just take this into your head for a little bit in your heart, there will be unsaved people that will go to hell today. And so how important are those other things? Right? If we, if we really look at it in, in the context of how important are those things when somebody will die today and spend eternity in hell? We have to, we have to wake up. We know that Jesus is at the right hand. And I love what it says in verse 37. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? That's how he answers the question, right? Greatly throng, and the great throng heard him gladly. Jesus is both the root and the offspring of David. We know that in Revelation chapter 22, verse 16. It says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you above about these things for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David. And these are the Lord's law that Jesus is talking to, and they should know this stuff. That he's the anointed one. He's the Messiah. He's fulfilled the prophecies. He's healed. He's done things that, that only the Messiah could do. And yet, they wanted the warrior king to show up. They wanted to overthrow Rome. They didn't care about the eternal. And that's the same for us. It's like, look, we, we need to be praying for our nation. I think the biggest thing that you can do is vote. Okay? That's what you do at the midterms. Where do you make your decisions? At the midterms. How do you vote? You read the Word of God and you vote. And then guess what? You got a lot of praying to do. And you got to be praying for our leaders. All of them. Even the ones you go, I don't really like that guy. They need prayer. Why? Scripture tells us to. Okay? We can be upset. We can be mad. You can do all that stuff and but we're supposed to be praying for our leaders. We're not looking for, for someone to come overthrow anything. We can't be like the scribes and the Pharisees. We have the Messiah. We serve Christ, the King. The King of kings. The Lord of lords. The battle's won. Right? It's won. So our focus is to share the gospel. That's what we've been called to do. Now, and, and as we, we look at that question, as he says that um, David himself calls him Lord, so how is, his, how is he his son? In Jewish culture, uh, a father would never render that type of honor to a child, ever. It, it just was not something they do. And so when, David, when, it, when it says the son of David calls him Lord, this is a declaration that the Messiah is fully God, fully man. And it was actually discussed as, as you look at 2 Samuel chapter 7. As it talks about um, 
in verse 16. It says, And your, your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. That's because of Jesus. In accordance with all, the, all these words and in, and in accordance with all this, this vision, Nathan spoke to David. And what's crazy is as they say this, there's not an answer that comes from the scribes or the Pharisees because there's no answer to give. The question's been answered. It's almost like when your parent would ask you something and, and the question's the answer already. You're like, well, what, do I say anything? Am I going to get in trouble? Right? But the crowd, that word throng, and the great throng heard him gladly. That's the crowd. And then now he's going to go into the rebuke, right? He's going to start the rebuke of the, uh, of the, uh, the scribes and the Pharisees. And so we're, we're going to see um, this next little part here play out. Let me get to there. I'm sorry. So now we'll look at the condemnation of the scribes in verse 38. And his teaching, he said, beware of the scribes. So he goes from answering the question to now he's going to give them condemnation. And actually the last teaching that Jesus did on this earth was to the religious leaders. That is, woe to you. And it's a whole list of things that he goes over. And this is part of it. And so it says, in his, and in, in his teaching, he said, beware of the scribes. They're sitting right there as he says this. So it's not like he's trying to hide it. He just goes, beware of the scribes. Who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplace. And these were the scribes that were in charge of the Scripture. And they were supposed to be well-versed in God's Word. And Jesus is saying to do what? Beware of them. Beware of them. Turn from their teaching. Avoid them. And when I think about this, we have... And, I, and I'm not going to go in and start naming names of teachers or people in the pulpits. But we have false teachers and people that are teaching incorrectly in the pulpits today. We have a little church that, that's down from us and I've seen that church grow and they have four or five trailers now. They're busting at the seams and that guy is a motivational speaker. And we have a lot of those happening right now where you have people that are just giving you motivational speaking. There are some big mega churches that have come out of that. You need to be aware of those. If they're not teaching the whole counsel of God from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation, you need to beware. You have some that are teaching their opinions. So they take a piece of Scripture and they teach their opinion on it. Not what the context of the Scripture says. You need to beware of them. You have some that have national TV worldwide, even on XM Radio. And they share a scripture at the very beginning, and then they don't share anything else the rest of the time. They don't even teach on the Word. You need to beware of them. See, I, I've told y'all before, 
you're supposed to be as Bereans. In Acts chapter 17, verse 11, it says, Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. You're supposed to examine, the, like how do you know if you're supposed to beware of a teacher? You need to know the scripture. Meaning that you need to spend time in it yourself. And you can go, uh, that's, that's not right. And then you can go, okay, it's time for me to, to, to find another church or I need, to, I need to find something else to listen to besides this person. That's why, I mean, it, we, one of the things that's very important for us and it's always been that way for Calvary Chapel is we do verse-by-verse teaching. We don't skip. Like next week is the first time out of the, we've been a church for about 14 months. This will be the first time we teach on tithing. Why? Because we have to. That's what the scripture we're on next week. We're going to be talking about the widow and her tithing. We won't talk about it not unless it's in scripture. And that's the beauty of, of verse by verse teaching. We can't avoid it. If it's in scripture, we have to talk about it. And that's what's important. So when we do verse by verse, you teach what you teach for that week. You don't get to skip. Can't avoid things. It's, it's fun giving people sugar all day, right? But they don't need sugar all the time. They need a little salt. They need the bone, the marrow, the meat. It says, who, who, who like to walk around in long robes. So they would wear these long robes and they wanted to be seen in them. That was their desire. Vanity. Arrogance. That's what they wanted. In Proverbs chapter 21, verse 24, it says, Scoffer is in the name of the arrogant, haughty the man who acts with arrogant pride. Scoffers think that they know everything. And anyone who tries to teach them something is wasting their time. What is happening with the scribes right now? They're supposed to be learning, but they're not going to learn anything. Instead, they go back to try to kill Jesus. That's what they're going to do. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-5, through 5, it says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of ungodliness, but denying its power, avoid such people. Any of you that have chickens, it would be like your barnyard rooster strutting. That was the scribes in their long robes. They want to be seen. That's what they were. It says they like greetings in the marketplace. So they wanted to be, they expected to be addressed by their title. And sadly, we know this happens today. People chase titles even in the church. 
We've been blessed, I mean, to have Reuben up here and do uh, announcements, praise God. Wayne does the, the audio for us, and Court does the video. And then Miss Elva and Teresa help out with children's ministry. It takes, even for a small group as us, it takes people to step in and help out. But we have to be careful because Christians love titles. I, I, I don't even like, when I usually sometimes what you'll get from me is God bless Michael. Because I don't like putting the other pastor, whatever. I don't, it's like, I, I love the answer that, that really s- stuck with me that um, pa- uh, Sonny Sandoval shared. And Sonny is uh, in a group called POD, and, and they sold millions of records, and he's part of the whosoevers, goes out and shares the gospels at schools and wherever he can. And it's helped so many, so many guys come to know faith from that, from that world. But Sonny, when they asked him, well, Sonny Sandoval, who are you? The guy asked him in the interview, and Sonny looked at him and goes, I'm a nobody. I'm a nobody. I serve Christ. That's all I want you to know about me. I'm a nobody. And, and as leaders or as pastors, we're last. As fathers in your home, you're the priest of your home. You're last. You're supposed to serve. That's a hard thing. But we're supposed to be called to be the salt and the light. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, it says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out, trampled under people's feet. You are a light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, light, uh, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to, the God, uh, give glory to your Father who is in heaven. See, when we talk about titles, what we're talking about is not hypocrites. You can have a title all day long in the church, but if you're not living it out in your home, you're a hypocrite. Doesn't matter how many titles you, you keep. I love that verse because it says, Your light, you're a light of the world, a city set on a hill, it cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but put it on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. The light shines in the house first. That means the love should shine in the house first. Kids shouldn't be afraid to talk to you, to bring things to you. That's why you're supposed to have salt. It draws them in. It's seasoned. There's grace with it. But it starts in your home. But unfortunately what happens is people start chasing titles. It happens in the church. And if you're military, you've got to be very careful of it because we, always, what, we were always looking to the next rank. You have to be careful. And, and we'll talk about the responsibility of when you do accept that title. There's a lot that goes with it. 
Because Jesus addresses that at the very end. And it says, And they have the best seats in the synagogues, in verse 39, in the place of honor at feast. And this is part of the woe to you Pharisees in, in Luke chapter 43. It says, Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. And I want you to turn to the book of James for me, chapter 2, verse 2. It says, For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who, who wears the fine clothing and say, You sit here in the good place while you, stay, or while you say to the poor man, You stand over here or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And so that, that was the Pharisees. The Pharisees had to be sitting at the best seat so they could be seen. They wanted to be at the best seat so they could be seen doing, right? Next to the person being honored. So they, that way they get some of the shine as well. We have to be careful with that. How do we treat people that come in the church? Everybody gets treated the same. We love one everybody that comes through the church. We don't distinguish between one person or the other. And we have to be careful with that. And we know part of that is due to pride. And we know in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, it says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before, fall, before a fall. You pridefully want to be given, hey, you need to address me by my title. Hey, I need to be at the best seat, served the best food. No. No, you're not. You should be serving people. Why do you think you see me running around with my head cut off most of the times as we're setting up? It's because we're, I'm here to serve y'all. That's my job as a pastor is to be here to serve y'all. I'm least in this church. That's the mentality that we have to have. And we love everybody that comes through these doors. We don't try to treat people differently because they're dressed a certain way or can't do that. In verse 40, it says, Who devour widows' houses. And the word devour actually meant that they continually did this evil practice. In the Greek, the word devour is actually the pretense, meaning that it was indicated that it was a continual thing that they did. They actually would, would write deeds or estate plans for the widows and convince the widows that they would be serving God by supporting the temple or supporting the scribe himself. And when the scribe profited, whatever the husband left for his wife was taken away through ex, uh, extortion. Everything was taken away through extortion. And this was actually happening. And, and these were religious people that were doing it. That's what's sad. In James chapter 1, verse 27, it says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep one unstained from the world. We have widows in this church. 
Lord, help you if you try to take advantage of one of my widows in this church. My mother-in-law is a widow. You know, one of the greatest things that my father-in-law did, we, he just, we had his anniversary of his passing. It's been a few number of years now. He had Pick's disease, which is a form of Alzheimer's. 11 years, 12 years? Yeah, that he had it. Because of his planning financially, even when he was sick, he took care of his wife. He's been gone for a number of years and he's still taking care of his wife because of his planning. I know that's God that does that. That's what God put on Lewis's heart. But that's how he was. And oh Lord, let, let one of my nieces or nephews think they can come and swindle mom, you know, grandma some money. Uh-uh. We can't do that. We got to take care of our widows. We need to be praying for our widows. Make sure they have everything that they need. But that's what was happening is they were actually taking advantage of the circumstance. They were actually ripping these widows off of their, their, their inheritance, their, their estates, their money. And sadly, any of y'all that grew up in the 80s, I'm going to give my age here, but as, as a kid in the 80s, I remember the TV evangelists. Right? You remember a couple of them. Jim Baker, Jerry Farwell, Jimmy Swaggart. They were ripping people off left and right. Jim Baker went to jail. Right? Jim Baker's back on TV doing the same thing again. So this stuff happens. Don't ever come to me and ask me to help you with your estate. That's not my responsibility. I will point you to somebody that, that may be able to help you, but I'm not, that's, I don't do that. That's why the tide box, that's between you and the Lord. That's, that's how we treat that. If you want to give online, that's between you and God. It's, it's, you know, we have to remember, it's not our, we're not, unfortunately, we've had so many bad things that have happened throughout the years. And when things like that happen, like with Jim Baker and all this stuff, it tarnished the church and hurt the church's name for a long time. Because people automatically thought, well, the church is just out to, and they're not. It's, it's sad, but that's where we're at. It says that they finally here as we finish up it says for a pretense make long prayers and so they would pray they wanted to be heard it was a it was a religious showing to be to be heard they would go into the middle of the marketplace and start praying so they would look godly matthew chapter 6 verses 5 and 6 it says and when you pray you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret 
and we'll reward you. I love uh, A.W. Tozer said that some people must be a long distance from God because their prayers were so long. But he finishes it with this, this warning. They will receive the greater condemnation. You want a title? You want to be a teacher? You want to be a pastor? You need to read that last little part of the verse. They will receive the greater condemnation. There is a responsibility that God has placed on us. In James chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. It's a calling. It's not chasing a title. And so we, we need to ask that question. Why, should, why shouldn't you become a teacher? You know, because a lot of people would, will become teachers because they have influence. They have power. They can lead people astray. And we've seen it time and time again. That's why, it, you know, as, as he's talking about the scribes and the Pharisees here, he wept over Jerusalem. In Luke chapter 19, verse 41, when Jesus wept over Jerusalem, it's because he already understood the, the dilemma and what was going to happen. He knew that the city was going to be decimated in A.D. 70 by the Romans. And, and what the Pharisees and the scribes were supposed to be doing was drawing people to the temple, drawing people to God. And not just the Jewish nation, but the Gentiles. And because they were focused on all this other stuff themselves, they were pushing people away from the temple and pushing people away from God. And so when we have all these things that happen in the church that creates problems in the church, and we start seeing this side is this way and that side is that way and the, and the churches are in the news and, and everybody's like, there they go again. There goes the Christians. Could we be known for our love and our grace? Could we be known for our mercy? In Luke chapter 12, verse 48, it says, But the one who did not know and did, did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. But everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from uh, him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand more. If you're given a little, you'll be entrusted with that. And then from there, you're given more. But guess what? There's more that's going to be demanded. And for me, my, my responsibility is to share the truth of God's word with you. That's it. And to live a godly life. To be an example, not just in my marriage, but in my family, in my community, and in this church. 
because I will be judged stricter. And that scares me to death. It's a fear there, but it's a reverence because of God. Which is a good thing. Because I think if anybody grabs a pulpit without having the fear and the reverence of God, God help them. We can't do it because we want to be vanity. We want to be seen. We want to be doing. Can't do it out of pride. Can't do it out of arrogance. We do it because it's a calling that God has placed on my, on my life. It's a calling that God has placed on many men's life. But our job is to, to point you to Christ. For you to live a life that's, that would bring and glorify Jesus. So where is your identity found? If you, if you answer the question, you know, remember we told you that was a very important question early on in Mark when we were back in Mark chapter 8. Who do you say that I am? Right? But this is a very important question that Matthew poses in the, in the Synoptic Gospel dealing with the same story. Is what do you think about the Christ? You have to answer that personally. It's a personal question. Your identity should be found in Christ. Thank you so much. That was Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Divine, Texas. Remember, if you need to get more information on the church, you can do that at calvarydivine.org. God bless.